We all want clean air. We all want great environmental protection. But the unintended consequence of that is that it's driving the middle class costs up and unfortunately driving the middle class out of California. This is Joel Kotkin. And this is Marshall Toplansky. And you're listening to the Feudal Future Podcast. Our society is being rapidly reduced to a feudal state, a process now being exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Millions of small businesses are near extinction. Millions more are losing their jobs. And many others will be stuck in the status of propertyless serfs. The big winners have been the expert class of the clerisy, and most of all, the tech oligarchs, who benefit as people rely more on algorithms than human relationships. With this, around the world, the middle class is becoming more squeezed than ever, and it's having profound economic, social, and spiritual implications. Here on the show, we're having conversations with business, government, and citizen leaders like you to get to the core of these issues and explore how we can work together to form a better future than the one we're headed towards. So, Joel, I think it probably makes sense to give our listeners a little bit of a background on on who we are. So why don't you introduce yourself first, since everybody knows you? Well, I wouldn't have to introduce myself if they all knew me. (laughs) But anyway, uh, my name is Joel Kotkin. I'm a presidential fellow in urban futures at Chapman University. I'm the the author of nine books. And most recent book will be The Coming of Neo-Feudalism, A Warning to the Global Middle Class. And most of my work involves cities, the urban form, history, and demographics. Great. And, and I'm Marshall Toplansky, and I have written nine books, but I'm at least semi-literate, which is probably the reason why you and I like each other so much. I am actually not trained as an academic. I've recently come to the university. I'm a technology entrepreneur and a business guy who successfully started several companies and focus in the area of data and analytics. I was the co-founder of a large center of excellence for a major consulting company in the area of data and analytics. And today I teach marketing, marketing analytics, new product development, marketing research at Chapman University, where I'm an assistant clinical professor of management science. And I'll just add, I'm not an academic either. I'm what the old days they used to call a writer, but I do teach some classes at at Chapman as well, one on the history and marketing of cities and another one on propaganda, which seems to be pretty popular. Well, and I think one of the reasons why you and I met through mutual friends here in Orange, California, which is where Chapman University is based. But one of the things that I think made each other like each other early on was our focus on common sense solutions. I think we were both observers of what seemed to be a governmental and policy system for how normal people lead their lives that just doesn't seem to be working anymore. And so as we started collaborating and starting to look at the information that goes into policymaking and the kinds of the kinds of thinking that our policymakers have or perhaps arguably don't have, we kind of thought, you know, we have a common thread and a common point of view on this, that we need to be looking at 
regular people, regular working class people, and try to make life better for them because we're in an environment where it's slipping fast. Yeah, and I think that one of the reasons we've talked about feudalism is the big thing about the, let's call it the liberal capitalist era of the last 150 years, is with all its problems with the environment and all its problems with race and gender, it nevertheless has produced enormous success in upward mobility, starting in the UK and the United States and Canada and Australia, but spreading throughout Europe. And as both Marshall and I have been eyewitnesses to a remarkable extent in Asia as well, that progress towards a more egalitarian society where there's more opportunity has been reversed in virtually every part of the world. And and we seem to have hit the wall, haven't we, Joel? I mean, it doesn't matter really what country you go into, the level of inequality between most people and the people who have wealth or the people who have huge incomes is just getting bigger. Now, and one of the things I think it's important for our listeners to understand is that we don't have a political agenda. We're not Republican. We're not Democrat. We're common sense Nicks. We're people who say, hey, look, you know, society should be designed to help the most people possible be able to have opportunity and and live well. So those are the kinds of views that we're going to be expounding on our show. Like some of the guests we're talking about, maybe the president of the Irvine Company, I have a, a Chinese scholar who studied the enormous migrant labor issue in China. We're going to talk about issues with people from Youngstown, Ohio. We're going to be talking to people in the Latino and African-American communities. But our main point is not to posture, not to virtue signal, but to actually deal with real results, what works, what doesn't work. And I think a lot of this has become more evident, I think, with the COVID-19 pandemic, because take a look at who's losing jobs. I mean, people like Marshall and I who can BS our way via Zoom, we can survive. And most of the people I know, they were working at home anyway, to some extent. Now it's just more. And, you know, if things loosen up, they'll maybe occasionally go into an office. But the reality is, look who's being left behind. I think about here in Orange County, and this is something I think we'll want to tackle for sure. Think of all the people who work at Disneyland. They're making $13, $14, $15 an hour. And yeah, this, is hardly a, this is hardly the ability to feed a family, especially when you have $3,000 to $4,000 a month rent payment. And so what you've got is you've got this whole group of people who have no jobs. Then you have another group of people, and by the way, my older daughter is part of it, who are essential workers. Their problem is they're at terrific risk and also dealing with customers who my daughter keeps telling me are becoming ruder and ruder and more and more difficult as many of us are already. So this COVID-19 experience, I think, has made the class divisions that are essential to feudalism at all times. I think this is going to accelerate it. I think we've become aware. Now, Francis Marshall did a very interesting article for New Geography, the website that I I co-own, where we talks about we have to start thinking about the safety net. We can't have 35 million unemployed people. Now, but it people- was never it was never designed for that, you know. Right. The, and the the fact is that some other research that you and I had done earlier showed that between two thirds and three quarters of California households 
have negative discretionary income every month. That means that they basically can kind of eke out an existence of maybe paying the rent, maybe, especially if they overcrowd into multiple fa- with multiple families in one unit, but but they're just not making it. And this is not what society was really, what we envision society to be. The other thing I think we want to bring out is there are a lot of unintended consequences that have resulted from governmental policy that we're paying for right now. For instance, you know, if, if anybody thinks they have a problem finding an affordable house, well, who do you blame for that? That's not developers that are gouging you. That's the cost of land and the cost of massive regulatory compliance that adds like $150,000 a unit to the cost of building something totally outside of the builder's control. So we all want clean air. We all want great environmental protection. But the unintended consequence of that is that it's driving the middle class costs up and unfortunately driving the middle class out of California. So these are things that we, especially with the COVID-19 catalyst, give us an opportunity to rethink and say, okay, how do we balance our priorities in a way that we can get the best life for the most people? We've focused a lot on California. We have a big report coming out later this month, but same things in New York, same things in London, same things in Paris, the same divides we see. And of course, one of the most tragic parts of this is the the pandemic has been particularly lethal in the poor and working class communities who have already suffering from all sorts of health and social problems to start with. So we are really at the cusp of what could be a very strong move backwards, if you will, historically. Our view has always been, I think, as liberals with a small L, which was that society and the market and technology would raise the quality of life over time, increase the amount of how much diversity of viewpoints we have. We would have more freedom to express ourselves. And some of that has taken place. But the the sad part is, As technology becomes more important, it becomes more hierarchical, more and more dominated by a small number of players, and is actually accelerating inequality. And I think to a point that our Republican institutions may still exist in name only, but they won't exist in their essence. Because without a large middle class, a large group of working class people who think they're going into the middle class, a large group of individuals who own small businesses and own property. You wipe that out and feudalism, maybe high-tech feudalism, or somebody once called it feudalism with better marketing, that's <laughs> our future. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's right. And if you look at some of the economic impacts of COVID-19 on kind of regular people, take, for instance, the notion of the supply chain, the globalization of the supply chain. We consciously decided to offshore jobs and offshore manufacturing functions 20 years ago because we thought we'd make more money that way. That's really the the bald truth of it is that corporations said, hey, we'll make more profit if we move this stuff offshore. And by the way, it isn't really strategic to our business. It isn't the secret sauce that makes us a special company. So why not do it? That was the rationale. Well, look at the unintended consequence of that. We now have concentrated our supply chain in areas where we no longer have any control over it. 
And when you have a shock to the system like what we had in the COVID situation, we're scrambling, we're naked. We don't have the ability to quickly gin up our own ability to maintain and sustain ourselves through manufacturing our own stuff. Well, does the answer mean we go in back to reshoring everything in the United States to be able to compensate to it? No. Obviously, we need to have a diversification of our supply chain, but we have to be able to look at it from the perspective of what is going to protect the bulk of people in the United States and what is going to ensure the livelihood of the bulk of people in the United States. And that's where the priority needs to shift to and away from figuring out how to maintain earnings per share growth. And I, I think that what we're going to try to do with this show is really to try to break down, as Marshall suggested, the way things are now discussed. Either you're a Trumpian or you're a resistance member, and actually the lives of people and whether they do better or not is not important. And frankly, if you're in the pundit business, actually the more polarization and anger, the better it is for you. So I think what we really want to do is we want to get through things like the media bias and partisanship and start to get people to focus on issues that actually matter to them. You know, it's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to give everybody $2,000 a month and families of four could get $8,000 a month. Well, why don't we think about how we're going to pay for that and what's going to be the long-term effect if we put more and more people on welfare? For many of them, it's going to make more sense not to work than to work. So we have to look at this and we want to talk to people who are on the front lines, either as scholars or people who've run major real estate companies or people who have done a lot of of research for investment companies. We're going to try to get the listener in touch with experts who actually know something and don't have an ax to grind. I'm both old and a journalist. I've been scribbling for a living for almost a half century now. And I find it absolutely ludicrous. And the degree to which I read stories, even in great newspapers, some of which I've worked for, and to have to start to say, well, do I believe this? How come they didn't ask this guy? How come there wasn't any balance? One of the great things about the internet is you can sometimes click through the original sources and sometimes you can get good stuff. But we want to break through that. We want to be providers of information and insight directly to you, directly to the to the listener, so that you can say, this is all based on some degree of reality. It's not part of a narrative. If I hear the word narrative one more time (laughs) to justify why we cover things, it is absurd. The job of a newspaper or any kind of media outlet is fundamentally to inform and make people think. I remember when I was a young reporter at the Washington Post, I wrote a little bit of opinion in a story And the editor said, nobody gives a damn what you (laughs) And we're not saying that to young journalists. People right out of school, we're supposed to hear what they think. Now, look, we have- Well, well, if I can interrupt you, you know, it's not that there's no narrative. There, There is a bit of a narrative. In order for a society to be successful, they've got to get a bunch of things right. You've got to get your education right. You've got to get your job creation vehicle right. You've got to get your government policy working well for you. You have to have the basic infrastructure of energy and internet and things like that right. So we're going to talk about, it's not like we're just going to be talking about random things. We're going to be talking about and to people 
who are responsible for creating policies and success stories around mixing these variables. So that's going to be, I think, a very important part of what we're going to be talking about, but we're going to do it in a way that doesn't have any bias except for let's look at what makes for success. And we're going to invite people who you would never think would be on the same program, like scholars of working class conditions in Youngstown, Ohio, or migrant workers in China, or people who are developing upper middle class housing in Orange County. We're going to try to get all those perspectives. So just to give you some idea where we're going on our studies, we're going to very much focus on, I think Marshall has really focused on this issue of the social safety net. Where is that going? How can we do it in a way that actually empowers people, doesn't create a class of people who are like the Roman citizens in the empire who basically got meal tickets and went to the Colosseum to see gladiators kill people? We want to have something better than, well, you get a check, you live in a little apartment, you rent for the rest of your life, you water your plants and you play video games. That's not the future I want for my children. I'm sure that's not what most people want for their children. We're going to look at how cities are going to change. We're going to look about issues that affect minority communities. We're going to try to really get into this. But the key common thread is some sort of common sense response to the danger of neo-feudalism. And facts. Right. The other thing we want to muster is bringing facts to you that come out of our research that we can say that, first of all, have been well-researched and we feel comfortable with, but actually reflect what we believe is reality out there in numbers, charts, things like that. Who knows? Maybe you can get some great cocktail party chatter and comments for yourself to be able to use coming out of this. So we hope you subscribe to the show. We definitely want to hear what you have to say. We're pretty thick-skinned, so if you think we're a bunch of idiots, please tell us that. And we may agree with you. You never know. (laughs) So you can also sign up for alerts and newsletters that take the content that we've built here within the podcast and bring it back to you in written form. And also keep an eye out Joel's book, which is Beyond Feudalism. When will it hit the the shelves? It should be just in the next week or so, and it's The Coming of Neo-Feudalism, A Warning to the Global Middle Class. And again, I want to stress, this is a global issue. Yes, it's intense. It's in the United States. It's in California. But the same basic things are happening in societies around the world. So thank you for joining us for our first podcast, and we look forward to talking with you and hearing your thoughts as we move forward.